Hey, Crow. Graham, I think we need to tell everyone that the sound quality on this podcast is not as good as our previous ones. I know. It, it all kind of went a bit wrong, didn't it? Yeah, and I think you need to apologise because it was your fault, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, right? <laughs> you know it was. Yeah, it was. I, okay. I kind of messed up a bit. And you're sorry. I am sorry, but, you know... I still think it's worth putting out, don't you? Okay. Yes. Well, if people think it wasn't, let us know. All right. On to the show. Smashing Security, episode 008. I'll give you my Android when you pry it from my cold, dead paws. With Carol Terrio, Vanya Schweitzer and Graham Cluley. Hello and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security, episode 8 for Thursday the 16th of February 2017. And I'm joined by my chums. Hello chums. Hi Graham. Hello. That is Vanya and Carole of course. Um, and the three of us will be chatting about some of the stories which caught our eye this week in the world of computer security. And I. It was a bit dry out there, you know, in terms of news. Everyone's at RSA I guess. Could it be because of the RSS (laughs) security conference? That's right. So for those who don't know, probably the biggest security conference of the year is taking place right now in San Francisco. Or is it it a conference or is it a fair, a trade fair? Well, there are a lot of talks, aren't there? Forgive me for being slightly sarcastic about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, it's so nice not to be there for once, isn't it? They're all over there. And a lot of security firms, they sort of save up their research or they say, oh, we've we've discovered something new. And coincidentally, it's just during the RSA show when there'll be lots of security journalists around uh, to talk about it. So uh, quite often it's there's a bit of a drought just before the RSA show. And then it all happens this week. Yeah. So, and, and you need at least one scandal as well during the RSA. Oh, there is. A, have you heard? There is a scandal going on right now. Oh, tell me, tell me, tell is me. Is there? Well, there's a scandal between a security firm called CrowdStrike and a testing agency called NSS Labs. Oh, yeah. And uh, we know that. it is handbags at dawn. Basically, NSS Labs have tested CrowdStrike's product and CrowdStrike aren't terribly happy about that. Um, they haven't been very happy with the testing methodology which NSS Labs uses. And, you know, to be fair, I think both companies have sometimes been embroiled in some controversy, both the testing agency and the security firm as well. So who knows who's right? But uh, CrowdStrike went to the went to the courts and um, tried to silence NSS Labs. And what a fantastic way to give an awful lot more <laughs> attention to a test that you didn't want people to read. Yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's not a very wise move on the CrowdStrike part, really. On what, on CrowdStrike's part? Yeah, yeah. I mean, why would you go and sue? The best way, in my opinion, to go around or against this is like, yes, some tests are like this, but we also have a list of other reputable testers that tested our products. And here are the results that are so much better than in this case. Yeah, this is a topic we could, we should probably talk about this at some point, you know, this in depth, because it's really, there's a lot of tests out there that uh, maybe some would call paper plays, which may not give a true representation Mm. of how products work. And if you're not in the industry, how are you supposed to tell which ones are good and which ones are bad? Anyway, NSS, CrowdStrike, who knows? 
what is going to come of that. Maybe we'll find out in the weeks to come and as people pour through the tests. Um, but I think there will continue to be a lot of antagonism between security companies and testing agencies, or at least some of the testing agencies and some of the security companies sometimes go. Going forward, topics for this week. I've got something I want to get off my chest right now. Um, and it is Donald J. Tr- Can you guess? <laughs> no. The current president, the current U.S. president. Current United States president has been um, making the news for a number of reasons. And one of the things which has happened right now is people are getting more and more concerned about whether he has his own private, insecure Android phone. Now, we know that Donald loves to tweet, right? Oh, actually, you know... He has a very active Twitter account, but it's interesting. He has said in the past that he doesn't actually tweet very much himself. He's said a lot of things in the past. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed he has. Um, But he said in, in the past that he chooses to dictate tweets to an assistant who then types them in. Now, what, how that would... Well, how else would I do it? I do it as well at home, exactly <laughs> the same way. Is that what Mrs. Schweitzer does? Yes, for you, exactly. Oh. Andriana, please write this tweet. Retweet use... smashing security. Why wouldn't you just use the microphone <laughs> if that were the case? Wouldn't that be easier? What you, if you misspell something or you know, if, you, if you have a, a, a thick Eastern European accent and the computer doesn't understand anything what you're saying? Oh, oh, oh poor Vanya. Oh, poor Vanya. It is sad, isn't it? It is sad. Yeah, I, but yeah. anyway, so there's a lot of concern about whether he has an insecure smartphone. This has been swirling around for a few weeks now. And there was some uh, digging around done by Android Central who did a little investigative work. And they took a lot of... Uh, they took a close look at some photos of the US oh, president. And there he was holding in his in his mm. little in his little paw uh, his Android phone. And they sort of... You, you know how it is on CSI and things like that, right? Yeah. Where you, you enhance the picture. You blow it up to try and work out what kind of phone is that? So it's like, enhance, enhance. I love it. And yeah. they eventually determined he's probably got a Samsung Galaxy S3. Oh, I had that one too. Did you? Yes. Oh, interesting. That's one of the models which didn't blow up, right? Didn't actually catch fire of its own accord and it was burn pretty down the factory. Good. It was pretty good while it lasted. Now I'm on the dark side of the spectrum. Ooh. The dark side? Yeah. The, the, the Apple thing. The Apple thing. <laughs> the Apple thing, yeah. Well, the, the Galaxy <laughs> S3, the Samsung Galaxy S3 came out in 2012 and the last firmware update it received, software update for security patches and things like that, was mid-2015 when it got updated to Android 4.3 Jelly Bean. And of course, that is not the latest and greatest version of Android. Uh-huh. It isn't patched against all of the vulnerabilities. It may not be considered necessarily a terribly secure phone if... And I have to stress if someone was determined to get into it. Yeah, I, re- I remember that Samsung is not being that great in terms of like publishing all these up-to-date uh, security patches. As, for example, Google, the Google, all the Google phones, the Nexuses of the world. Well, I think, I think in recent years, Samsung have got better, actually, in, in terms of updating some of their devices. I think they've learned from some of that in the past. But there is a worry that if there's a poorly protected phone being held by the US president, is it possible at all that some people might want to target that phone okay okay but there's another way to look at this maybe as he is the u.s president right maybe he can say look i really like this old handset but i really want the upgraded version inside can you make that happen please 
Maybe he likes his separation of home and work. Can can that happen for the president of the U.S. or just like now at, I'm at home? I haven't seen a lot of evidence about that yet. <laughs> he's he's bringing his bring your own device to work. Yes, he is. And wouldn't it be a shame if that BYOD device was actually a spy in his pocket, knowing his location, and potentially it's, it's interesting. There's been a presentation. Here we go again at RSA this week. Um, uh, Google security engineer stood up and said, look, yes, we've had huge vulnerabilities like stage fright, but they're saying nobody ever actually got exploited by that. Hmm. You know, they've seen no evidence. That's, that although- that's a curious claim. I have read about it and, and many times we criticize, like at the security companies, criticize Google about all the insecurities in Android and the number of malware that's out there, but they always deny. They basically kind of deny any kind of malware. I mean, to, to my mind, there is no doubt there's much, much more malware. I mean, consi- huge amounts of malware for Android, although much of it may be based around downloading apps from Chinese app stores or unapproved apps. Are you say- and- sorry? Are you saying there's much more malware for Android than other types of iOSs? Uh, yeah, mobile OSs, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Android yeah. is the only one that actually opened the phone to, to right. third-party stores. Yeah. And this is where the, the threat is coming from, not necessarily from Google Play. Google Play, you, you get a campaign here and there, some malware, some annoying adware happening, but... But there's a vetting process, no, I guess? It's, it's there's a, a much there stronger is, there vetting is a process? Way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not as strong as on uh, iPhone yeah. uh, store. It doesn't seem to be as strong as, as what's happening on Apple, and that's, that's yeah. one of the reasons why I prefer to use an iPhone rather than an Android device. But even if you accept Google's claim this week that even though Stage Fright was a huge vulnerability on Android, people weren't getting exploited on it, you've got to say to yourself, well, maybe that's true. But what about targeted attacks? And that's where Trump comes in, right? Because he has to have, in his little pool there, one of the most widely prized devices on the internet for hackers. He's going to be a top target for intelligence agencies Mm. around the world. So if that device is vulnerable to bugs like stage fright, it doesn't matter that millions weren't infected by stage fright. He could be at risk. And that is why... I imagine this week we've had two senators, admittedly Democrats, who've written to the Department of Defense saying, we want details. Has he got this phone? Has it been properly secured? What's being done to make sure that the phone the president is using has not been compromised in any fashion and is not being spied upon? Oh, dear. This is just... Of course, there would be Democrats. I think we do need clarity around this. I think it would be great to know that his device is properly secured. If nothing else, we want to know that those tweets that are being sent out really did come from the main man in charge and not some hacker, because sometimes it can be a little bit hard to tell who might have done the tweeting. You can't necessarily tell from the tweet itself, right? Yep. Anyway, moving on, let's... uh, Vanya, what have you got up your sleeve for us? Okay, this week I have a, a truly scary story, or is it, right? Ooh... Guys, guys from Kaspersky, uh, were working on one of the incidents response processes of one of the banks. And they discover this, uh, truly interesting piece of, of mother on attack they used. Mm-hmm. Uh, the attackers used malicious code, which actually hasn't existed as a file on the computer. So we are talking here about so-called fileless malware. 
and some of the news sites picked it up as a as a very important story. Fileless uh, malware. Yes. So so basically, you know how on computer in you know you have files and folders like yep. Word documents, yeah, yeah, like yeah. executable files. So typically, a malware which comes to your machine as an attachment or somewhere from the web mm-hmm. comes in the form of one of the files. Okay. So when you run it, it's an exe file or it's a JavaScript right. file, VBScript. When double click on it, it runs, and and then a process in memory is is created. Right. So. Uh, many people believe, I think still, that anti-malware companies are only scanning files and nothing else. Mm. So they only inspect files when, you, when the files are created and when the files are, are opened. So there's this idea that if you create a malicious code or you have malicious code which doesn't have a file uh, on the hard drive or on the computer, you'll be able to evade all detections that gotcha. that's, that's out there. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But this is this is really, you know, uh, Graham. You remember Code Red? I do remember Code Red. Yes, of course. We, but because that that was, can you imagine? It was like sixteen years ago. Yeah, unbelievable. Okay, I don't remember Code Red. No, I was too young, Vanya. <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm you sure still you, in diapers. If, I'm sure you remember diapers. it like it was yesterday, just like the Crimean War. Tell if us. I remember correctly, there was there was some vulnerability in Microsoft SQL Server, which allowed this really tiny piece of code, which is less than 500 bytes, to run and only exist in, the, yeah. in memory of Microsoft SQL Server process and then spread from a computer to a computer by exploiting the same vulnerability in other um, machines. machines. So so yeah. the, the idea, I remember we were like scared at the time because as an anti-malware company, at the time we really inspected only files. F- File-based yeah. malware, right? Exactly. So this was a, this was a non-file-based malware. And mm-hmm. how do we stop it? The only way to stop it at the time was just to recommend everybody to... Yeah. applied the patch as soon as the Microsoft came out with the with the security patch. So since then, you know, it was like a long, long time ago, uh, there were other types of, of malware that appeared as fileless malware. There are some kind of organized, possibly country-sponsored groups that use those kind of malware, but there are also uh, typically typical information-stealing mal- malware that, uh, can come to your machine without without a file. When they say without a file, there's still a representation of that malware on the hard drive mm-hmm. and in the memory. So uh, usually the malware um, registry uses registry, which is a database on your Windows machine that contains a lot of settings for all the applications. And it also allows some programs to run as soon as you boot the machine. All right. All right, Vanya. Thank you. Yeah, um, that, that's that, that's great. It's it's a bit nerdy, isn't it? I mean, should so? Are you saying we need to worry about this or not? Are these stories overhyped? They're 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 overhyped to a point. Right. Uh, there is a there is a, there is a definite risk of being affected by this kind of malware. I think the guys from Kaspersky were were stressing the fact that they find this in banking banking uh, IT departments or or in banking sites. Uh, mm. And they were saying that banks per- perhaps are not equipped to deal with this kind of attack yet. However, you know, most of the endpoint protection software these days can and does inspect memory and registry. Uh, and of course, doesn't just 
work on inspecting the content, but also the behavior of the system. So, you know, right. it's, it's pretty much, much, you know, your, your everyday work for, for, for anti-malware companies these days to deal with fileless malware. But in summary, fileless malware isn't a new concept. It's been around for over 15 years. Antivirus software has developed in those 15 years. It's doing much more than just examining the contents of files. As you mentioned, antivirus, for instance, is looking at the behavior, what's going on on your computer and trying to intercept that and, and, and stop things like that. As with any other kind of malware attack, obviously you need to keep your antivirus up to date uh, and make sure that it's properly defending against these kind of things. Um, and banks obviously are in the front line because they have so much to lose. Typically, though, banks are pretty well secured against things, but they need to keep on top of these threats. Absolutely. And of course, they have like all the logging in place so they can actually detect whatever happened in their system. So it's not just anti-malware software use. They use from network to the endpoints, all sorts of layers that allow them to detect when something happens in, within cool. the organizations. Carol, what has grabbed your interest? Well, I am going to talk about Facebook. So do you guys remember this tool called Graph Search or Graph Searcher, something called like that? It was, it was launched in 2013 by Facebook. And it was this... Uh, I'm not a huge Facebook user, so but it does sound interesting. <laughs> well, it basically was kind of like a Google for Facebook, like a big data tool that would basically give you a user-specific search engine. And it's collated from all the billion users they have and external data, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this caused huge media, you know, media went around going, now that this graph search has been launched, you know, this is how you protect yourself. There was a lot of concern about in terms of privacy, because it really did allow some some deep dives into uh, into uh, relate, you know, to, into Facebook users. Because you, you were able to sort of use an English in regular English language, weren't you put in search terms to search for things. So you could, for instance, I imagine I could look for, I don't know, um, single people in my village who are under 30 years old or something like that or right exactly and people did a lot of at the time try to show how 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 uh invasive this was there was one search for example it was called mothers of jews who like bacon just to show <laughs> what could actually be displayed which is pretty outrageous right so um uh, Carole, Carole, so can i just correct you there it's not outrageous to like bacon <laughs> That's what you think. I would definitely agree with them. Not for everybody, though. You know, everything kind of went quiet about this tool. And I, you know, I think you'd be forgiven to be thinking that this had been decommissioned, but it actually just moved into the shadows. And we have a Dutch bounty hunter and self-professed ethical hacker who's shining a spotlight on it with his tool called StockScan. So the idea here is just to show you just how much information a particular user is showing on their Facebook profile and how much information can a third party actually just get to get, you know, find out about that person. So effectively, you've got a home page, you put in the profile, you know, the URL of the of the person you're wanting to look up. And um, using FB's, uh, you know, Facebook's API, it'll go and give you all the information they can find. Um I think it's quite, you know, so it's, I did this with a few people and it's quite scary what you can find out, even from people that you would assume are quite secure. Yeah, so, so it, it is pretty scary. So this tool is actually a free tool that everybody can use? Yes, well, it's just a web page at the moment. and uh, Yeah, because if I remember, you know, there, there are some, I think, paid for tools that 
you know, allow some of the agencies, let's say, to, to try to find the similar information. Yes, they, they do exist. But this is a free website right now, which anyone can go to, a stalkscan.com. Um, That's right. And, and you can go there and just enter anybody's URL to their profile page. And, it'll, and I've, just, um, I've just done it just now to, to my own Facebook profile page. I'm not an avid Facebooker by any means. And um, right. and I tend to be quite careful about my security and privacy. <laughs> I expect you would um, be. I expect so. you would be. <laughs> but I still see some things which I'm kind of grumpy about. And I'll tell you what's happening in my particular case. One of the things that I've never really liked about Facebook is that people can tag you in photographs. Right. Well, yes. And that, no one likes that because everyone's all like, "Oh, look at that! Look very nice in that photograph." People want to have some sort of vetting as to what photographs end up of them on Facebook. Now, the way Facebook works and the way I've set up my privacy settings, if someone tags me in a photograph, it sends me a message saying, "Graham, do you want to put this on your timeline, or do you want it to appear automatically?" And I'm like, "No, I don't want it to appear on my timeline." But what I can't do is I can't prevent my friend from uploading that photograph, putting it on their timeline, and still tagging me. The only way I can remove that is if I actually go and ask the person, do you mind untagging me from that photograph? Would that be okay? Which, of course, you're never going to do. No. Uh, And this tool, if I put in my details into stalkscan.com, you can see those pictures, which I've sort of said, you know, I, I don't really want up there because someone has tagged my name in them. And that really pisses me off. Well, you've stolen my thunder. That's ex- that's exactly, that is exactly the problem. Even if you're locked down, there are still information out there because people tag and you have no control over that. And that's exactly a big problem, I think, with Facebook. I don't like that either. Yeah. Just unfriend everybody. Well, so this is what's interesting. So the amount of information you see when you're using StockScan depends on um, the relationship you have with a particular person. If it's yourself, obviously, you've got quite a strong relationship. I'm sure in your case, Graham. Um, it's uh, best buds, BFFs. I love him. Love him. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, yep. actually, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> it's a complicated relationship. Um, and also, obviously, it depends on the security settings that are set in the profile. So... Um, I think a few tips are just, I think people should maybe have a go at this and just have a look, even if they think they're pretty secure. Just using your example you've given, Graham, I think, you know, you're pretty secure and I think other, everyone else might want to take a look. I certainly was a bit surprised when I had it. But we still can't do anything about it because the graph is out, out there and then, you know, yes. when you search the graph, you know, how, the, how do you remove? I, I, except if you leave Facebook. I think the big thing is... The amount of, so I don't think people review the friends that they are connected with very often. And there may be people that are uh, listed there that you have no interest in seeing, don't see anymore. The relationship is over, yet you're still connected to them through Facebook. Um, that means they still have a lot more access than they would if they were outside your groups. So I'm recommending that people just take a look at their, who they're friends with and, you know, maybe do a call if, if, uh, if appropriate. Do, do a regular audit of your friends list. And I think the default, whenever you post something on the social, well, first of all, your default should probably be to not post anything. But if you are going to post something, have your default to be security locked down. You know, I'm only going to share this with my friends. It definitely isn't going to be public rather than having to remember, oh, I don't want this one to be public. I want this one to be private. The default should be as much privacy as you can. But of course, everything you post on Facebook, remember this, is getting shared with Facebook. 
Yeah. And, you know, they can get their little mitts on it and they can see it. Whether they choose to share it with others uh, is a different question entirely. But always be very careful about what you share. This is, yeah, this is advice we've been giving probably for 15 years. Always be careful with what you post, what you like, what you share and what you comment on. But it it continues to be a problem. You know, I think we should do a special Splinter episode sometime. on some of this social media privacy. And oh, totally agree. And maybe totally specifically agree. Facebook as well. So maybe we'll do that in the future and we can look at this a little bit deeper. Yeah. And this is also, just last thing, it might be a good tool to use to check up on your kids, but also your parents. You know, last year there was like a 14-point increase in new users aged 65 plus on Facebook. And that's that's a that's a huge amount, right? So um, I'm not sure all of them can navigate the security settings that are currently uh, um, available on uh, on Facebook, and it might be good to have a helping hand. Okay, well, we're heading towards the close of the show, but before we do that, we've got some feedback from listeners who've written in. Uh, tell us what they think of past episodes and some of their comments. Um, Martijn Gruten, friend of the show, editor of Virus Bulletin, he actually gave us our first piece of media coverage. Do you know? Yay. Isn't that fantastic? So he's actually written about us and some of his other favourite security podcasts, including the Sands Daily uh, Stormcast, which is a great one, Risky Business, and uh, a bunch of others as well. Go and check them out. We'll put a link in the show notes to some of those. And he said about us, the three presenters of the brand new Smashing Security are all past virus bulletin authors and speakers, because we've been at the conferences and chatted there. So I was excited to learn about their new adventure in podcast land. Podcast is presented with a good sense of humour which has already made it one of my favourite security shows. Well, thank you very much, Martin, uh, for saying that. High five. Good man. Yeah, I, I, I never say anything humorous. I'm always deadly serious. Oh, Vanya, you make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we have another comment from Bearded and Balding on iTunes, uh, the three musketeers of computer security. And he's commenting on Graham and your abilities to do accents. Oh, so he says, kind. Graham, your friend... <laughs> <laughs> he says, your friends are very understanding and your accents are so bad. Well done. What? An entertaining podcast that helps us lesser mortals, mortals in IT. Bad? Is that bad as in Michael Jackson bad? Yeah, I think he means bad in a really good way. Yeah, right. you know, okay. That's bad. It's, that's so right, bad. So hip man. Clear your yeah, bad, that's right. man. I'm sure they do that up north. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a review from on iTunes. Plarish on iTunes says, security was never such fun as this. Not always the most profound of security podcasts, but certainly the most entertaining. That said, the discussion on ad blocks and on the pros and cons of antivirus in episode 6 were highly informative and thought-provoking. Go watch one of the early video episodes to see their lovely simply simply faces, (laughs) and those images in your mind, you'll enjoy the later audio-only episode all the more. Oh, that's so great. Thanks very much. He's suggesting people go onto YouTube because the first few episodes for people who've joined us since we did do on video as well. He's suggesting people actually go and check those out, see what we look like. But it's great to connect voices with faces. Well, it is until you see the faces. Oh, that's true. (laughs) You know, it's like you have this wonderful image. You think, oh, she sounds lovely, you think. And then it turns out it's it's like a gorgon. That happened to me. I think I felt when I was a kid. I think I fell a little bit in love with a DJ, and uh, this went on for a number of uh, probably years until I, you know, got a, saw a picture of him. Because of course Google didn't exist then, so it's not like you just typed it in. And I was shocked. And obviously DJs are cho- chosen for their sexy voice. They are. They are. And it, yeah. it was that, there's that phrase in there: the perfect face for radio. 
<laughs> well, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed not seeing our faces during the podcast, but you enjoyed what we were talking about. We are on iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher and TuneIn and Overcast and all manner of other podcast apps as well. So please go and check us out and leave a positive review. <laughs> You could leave a negative review, I suppose, if you wanted to, but we'd rather you didn't. Uh, we'll delete that yeah. one. <laughs> Can we do that? That'd be great. I don't know. Anyway, leave, us, leave a review. It'd make a big difference because it means more people get to uh, see that we have a podcast and listen in as well. Maybe we spread the news. Um, thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Smash In Without a G Security. Smashing Security. And um, until next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.